This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Welcome to episode five of the Quality Improvement Podcast Series. Over this series of six podcasts, we'll be joined by staff members of the GOSH Quality Improvement Team. In today's episode of the Quality Improvement Series, we'll be discussing data for improvement. We're joined by the QI teams, Duncan Shepherd and Rhiannon Follett, with a special appearance from Nicola Wilson, lead practice educator and a great champion of QI at GOSH. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having us all on the podcast, Rhiannon. We're really looking forward to chatting with you today about all things data. Great. So why do you think data is so important in improvement? Hi, Rian. Well, I'm a data analyst in the quality team here at GOSH. So I'm used to using data to support projects, staff and patients. But to a lot of people, the idea of using data can be quite scary. Or at least it's quite divisive, like Marmite. You either love it or hate it. Just the thought of it can be quite off-putting for people. But we actually use data in our everyday lives without really thinking about it. On bus timetables, mobile data usage, how much we're spending on our bills or a Monzo, where to get the cheapest petrol. Journey times on Google Maps or City Mapper, and I know I'm slightly addicted to using weather apps every few minutes to see what the chance of rain is. It's even all over social media. Everyone's interested in the number of likes or shares that post gets or the number of views a video has. We think it's fair to say that if you're running any type of project, you're going to need some sort of measurable outcome and data sits behind this. Quality improvement projects are no different. You want to show that the changes that you're making are actually having an impact, ideally improving something. We're all too busy, particularly in the NHS, to just be making changes for change's sake. We want to know that what we're doing is actually making an improvement. And if it's not, to stop, learn from it and move on to something else. Yeah, there's an old saying though, you can't fatten a cow by weighing it. It's not the measurement itself that's leading to improvements. In this case, the feeding of the cow is fattening it. But if you are attempting to fatten up some cows, you probably need to weigh them over time to see whether what you're doing is having the right impact. And I guess not everything is quantifiable. Maybe it's the cow's happiness you're interested in. So it might not be that doing some before and after satisfaction surveys is the best way to proceed anyway. So measuring isn't the doing itself, but you can't prove success without it. And having data for improvement and measures set up for QI projects is really, really important for sharing that. So you both mentioned the phrase data for improvement. What should data for improvement look like? There are many ways to present data, some of which are good to use in projects for diagnostic purposes, such as simple bar or Pareto charts to point you in the right direction. And for improvement, at least, there are certainly some methods that are best avoided. RAG status reports are rife in the NHS, but are a bit of a bugbear of mine. They score you red, amber or green, usually based on arbitrary targets with lots and lots of measures all on one page. And you often end up with a sea of demoralizing red where it's impossible to see what's important and the direction of travel in a measure. Best to be avoided. So when we talk about data for improvement or measurement for improvement, the way we display data should have some key attributes. So firstly, it should measure a process over time where you're comparing the measure to itself rather than against other centers. Then it should paint a picture, tell a story over time. And lastly, the direction of travel should be the most important thing. For example, we have a trust-wide improvement project looking at recognition and response to deteriorating patients. When we look at measures such as those for cardiac arrests, when measuring for improvement, we want to see if we're improving our level of cardiac arrest against itself. 
over time rather than against other hospitals. This is not to say that benchmarking isn't important, but it's not the role of measurement for improvement. And back to the point about direction of travel being the most important thing. Of course, targets can be difficult to get away from, especially in the NHS. They do have a really important place. But if you can, set a realistic target or set a target to only improve from where you are currently. And ideally, any improvement project measure should also tell you whether changes are statistically significant or not, so that you only react to significant changes or special cause variation, not insignificant ones in what we call common cause variation. So what do you mean by common cause and special cause variation? Take your journey to work, for example. It might take you an average of 45 minutes, but it's not going to take you exactly the same amount of time every day as there is natural variation in the process. Sometimes you might walk a bit faster or slower, or have to wait for the bus for a bit longer, so the whole journey might take you a little longer, 48 or 50 minutes, say. On other days, you might get an unexpectedly smooth tube connection and be in in 42 or 43 minutes. In fact, it would be a bit freaky if each day, every day, your journey took you exactly 45 minutes on the dot. Even if your average journey time is 45 minutes, each day will take a different amount of time. This is all just common cause variation, and intuitively we do understand this in our everyday lives. But take the experience of the past few weeks. With rail strikes, your 45-minute journey to work might have taken you well over an hour. This is special cause variation. It's outside of what is expected or predictable. And we would call these events outliers or a special cause as they should be treated differently to the everyday common variation. And there are plenty of everyday real-life examples like this, where we do have some intuitive understanding of variation. Unfortunately, in a healthcare setting, more often than not, we're encouraged to read too much into small everyday changes and react to them constantly, when we should accept there is nothing special about common cause variation. It's just the background noise in a process. A bit like the soundtrack to a film, you kind of forget that it's there. What we want to do is to stop overreacting to everyday minor changes and instead know when to react when something genuinely different is really happening. In other words, the special cause variation. This is what STATS is all about, providing us with the tools to be able to spot statistically significant changes rather than everyday normal ones. That makes sense. I never thought about it like that. So what tools would you use to be able to spot special cause amongst all the noise? So the gold standard for measuring improvement is statistical process control charts, or SBC charts, we call them for short. We promise we won't get into any more maths right now, but these charts allow you to spot the difference between your common cause and special cause variation over time, and we use them to support lots and lots of projects here. They really do show you if you're improving. For any listeners that are keen to know more about SBC theory or methodology, do just get in touch with us in the QI team. But for now, we're really pleased to introduce Nicola Wilson. He's going to share a bit about how she's applied data for improvement in practice. Hello, Nicola. Hi. Nicola, hi. You've been involved in numerous projects here. How has your experience of using data for improvement changed over time? Honestly, now I wouldn't start a project without calling Duncan, but it hasn't always been that case. As a nurse, I'm used to using data in the form of patient observations and looking at trends to see improvements or deterioration and using that to inform my care. But over the last few years, through help that the QI team have given me and different use of data for different projects, I now feel that I naturally question how a project should be measured and and what are the hidden effects of that project might have. Have you got any examples of times where data has led you to make a different decision in an improvement journey or maybe helped you decide the best way forward? Yeah, recently I've been looking at embodied carbon and medication and consumables that we use in the medication process. And with my usual enthusiasm, 
I asked Duncan for a report of how many intravenous medications we give at Great Ormond Street. When he came back to me with a figure of over 1.7 million medications in the last four years, and that's just intravenous medications, it gave me an immediate nudge. Maybe I need to scale down my project to make it a bit more manageable. That's brilliant, Nicola. Do you, do you have any examples of where data has helped you decide on a particular intervention, like maybe that you didn't expect or where you've tested an idea and it's actually been looking at the data and how that change is happening that's given you the confidence to scale up an idea across a hospital? Yeah, definitely. Back in 2017, we decided to look at glove use in the hospital. We were really conscious that staff were overusing gloves and this meant that key moments of hand hygiene were being missed. We were looking at this from a care perspective and focusing on infection control rates and hand hygiene audits. But in the background, we happened to ask Duncan and a guy from procurement called Dean if they could help us track the number of gloves that we were actually using. So every month, what they did is Dean sent this spreadsheet to Duncan and Duncan would work his magic and produce an SPC chart. And with this, it became massively clear that we were having a significant impact on the number of gloves, the volume of gloves that were being used. And it was this reduction of plastic that's actually had the biggest impact in infusing others to take on the challenge of this change as well. And now we get calls from hospitals internationally asking how we did it. And that's really because they got on board with the plastic side of it. Thanks, Nicola. We may have listeners that are starting out on an improvement project and are keen to use data for improvement to drive this. What top tip would you give them? I would tend to say start by mind mapping and think about the possible impacts and outcomes of the project and then talk it through. If you have a QI team, talk it through with them and see how they would advise using data to check that you're heading in the right or anticipated direction. The key bit there being if you check your thoughts through with others, you'll see more than one way of measuring the project. Thanks so much for joining the conversation, Nicola. We're coming towards the end of this podcast now, but what would you say to someone listening that's doing a project and feels intimidated by the thought of collecting lots of data or having to analyse data themselves? Firstly, we all know that feeling, but just start by collecting what you can. Don't worry about collecting huge volumes of data as you might be used to maybe in a research environment. In QI, we collect only the amount of data we need to help us design ideas to test and to know if something we're testing is making an actual improvement. Small amounts of data at regular intervals is best. Also, make sure to use any data that's already being collected. Maybe you or someone else is already collecting data that could support your project. We have so much data in our hospital. We do, but also remember collecting data itself is not the most important thing. It's the understanding and conversations around it. Trying things out, new ideas every week, and then seeing in the data if the changes and ideas you implement are having some impact. So to summarise, the conversation around data is really the most important thing. Only collect as much data as you need and look for data sources that might already exist. And remember, variation is completely normal within any process. For anyone listening keen to know more about how SPC charts work, why they're so great, and a bit more of the maths behind how they're constructed, please do get in touch. Though here at GOSH, we have some quality team analysts and we're happy to do most of the hard work for you, including extracting data from EPIC or whatever clinical or non-clinical systems we have. So do let us know if you need some assistance with measurement for your project. We're very happy to help. Thanks for having us, Rianne. 
Thank you so much, Duncan, Rhiannon and Nicola for teaching us all about data for improvement. If you'd like to learn more about how you can use QI to improve your service at GOSH, you can find lots of information about the team on our GOSH quality page. By visiting this page, you'll also be able to navigate the GOSH quality hub, where you'll be able to find a fantastic range of tools and resources to help you get started on your improvement journey. Do keep an eye out on Gosh Den for upcoming QI courses and of course, follow the quality page on Twitter at quality at Gosh. We hope you'll join us next time for the final part of our quality improvement series. See you then.